0: Joining us now is a man who has worked as a sports journalist for over 40 years. He's been an accredited Major League Baseball official scorer in New York since 1999. If you're a sports fan, you have heard his voice a thousand times as he's a sports update regular on Sirius XM Sports. He's worked on numerous radio stations, including WCBS and WFAN. He's the host of Carpenter's Corner, heard right here on the 365 Sportscast Network every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. He's the author of 10 books six of which I have been lucky enough to be his co-author. Our latest, You Never Forget Your First, a collection of New York Mets First, is now available. It is a pleasure to welcome my very good friend, Howie Carpenter. Welcome, Howie.
1: Thanks. You shouldn't be wasting the minutes with those credentials.
0: <laughs> so, all right, before we talk about your book, though, let's talk about your career. Before you took to the airwaves and the official scorer's chair, you were actually scouted for the pros by the Detroit Tigers and the Minnesota Twins as a lefty pitcher and outfielder. You had a few tryouts for them as well. What was that experience like for you?
1: Well, you know, real realistically going in, I mean, I played one year of Division Three, and then I played ten years in the Sandlots. So that's where I got scouted. I mean, those tryouts were great, but you also came to the realization that, it, you know, it wasn't probably wasn't going to happen. But, you know, at least you could say you were competitive and, you know, you competed in these tryouts. There was one here in Van Cortlandt Park in the Bronx, sponsored by well, an outlet that used to, you know, they used to call themselves the Major League Scouting Bureau, and they'd send, you know, representatives from like 10, 11 teams down. There was 100 of us at that tryout. 50 of us made a cut and played in the game and actually pitched in that game. And then the next morning woke up with pain in my arm. And that was kind of like a, a wake up call. And I, I had a try out at Shea stadium for the Mets. I actually, uh, they they had the machine pitched to you from the mound. They didn't have anybody really throw. So I hit a ball off the 385 at Shea. So it's something you could brag about, but it was a, you know, it's a great experience. I love playing. I still play to this day, you know, some semblance of softball on a competitive level. And, uh, it's in my blood. I can't give it up.
0: So on top of that, you were actually the first broadcast media journalist to ever become an official scorer for the New York Yankees, a job that had previously been only given to print journalists. Tell us how that job came about and what that position means to you.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's actually the Yankees and the Mets. You know, I, the, my first year, I, I, I've been cov- I'm covering, you know, local baseball here, you know, Mets and Yankees since like 1980. So I saw that, you know, media people were doing the job. Bill Shannon, the late Bill Shannon, who ended up being my mentor. Red Foley, the late Red Foley, who worked for the Daily News way back when. And some of the other print guys were doing the job. It was a media guy. And after a while, I thought, you know, I, you know, I thought I was pretty good and knew the rules and thought I could do it. It took 18 years to actually get an opportunity because Bill Shannon finally pushed for it because him and Red were handling the bulk of the games and they were getting, you know, a little older so Bill pitched me to Phyllis Merridge, who ran the American League scorers at that time. It was separate, American and National League. And uh, she gave me a shot, like, uh, you, know, you know, the actor they find in the, whole, the old Hollywood drugstore. Well, she threw me in a game in 1998. I only had one training session, and I actually did one game. So I guess I passed the audition, as John Lennon used to say. <laughs> and uh, I got hired in 99 for 10 American League games only, because only Phyllis hired me at that time. And they actually gave me two playoff games in that 99 season, which was unreal. I mean, that was a fifth of my whole schedule. And then in 2000, Katie Feeney ran the National League. Chubb Feeney's daughter, remember Charles Feeney, was big in the National League in the 60s and 70s. He was the president. Uh, She hired me for the Mets and uh, been doing the both teams ever since. This is my 23rd year coming up.
0: So, having played the game at such a high level, how much does that help you in your job as an official scorer?
1: Huge. Uh, I think it. I like to say, you know, the guys that play the game and actually been on the field have a little bit of an advantage with making the calls. And that, that's not to downplay or you know or throw anybody under the bus that hasn't really played the game at a certain level, because you know you can observe the game and be smart about it as well. But it does give you, you know, it, it, like I was an outfielder, first baseman, pitcher, so I kind of know what goes into making plays at those positions, and it kind of helps me with my, with my scoring decisions. So, yeah, it's a big help.
0: So, since you started as a scorer, how has technology changed, and how has it impacted your job?
1: Well, one thing is we used to fill out, we used to actually fill out a form after the game, which was like the box score form, and they would fax it to uh, Elias now we don't actually fill out the form the form is gathered on a computer and then we have to double check it to make sure it's correct uh there's technology now with angles we get to see at games because we'll, we'll be on certain programs where we'll get a better angle maybe of a certain play and we'll be able to look at things a little quicker than have to rely on the tv networks totally to give us a replay things like that to give us some advantages with the calls has been they they brought the scorers together to kind of, you know, get the calls on the same page, but it's still going to be a level of, of subjectiveness there. So, you know, there's always going to be that. But it's it's gotten a little better o- over the uh, recent years, and uh, they're really trying to add the technology without having to totally rely on the technology. All
0: right, so let's turn to your writing career. It started with the Yankees Essential, Everything You Need to Know to Be a Real Fan in 2007. You followed it up with a Mets book, 162, Imagine a Mets Perfect Season, a game-by-game analysis of the greatest Mets wins in history.
1: How did those two projects come about? Well, thanks to a guy you know, Kenny Samuelson, who worked in the publishing business. Kenny and I go back to the 70s at Lehman College, uh, the Lehman College radio station. He worked in the publishing business, and he kind of, like, you know, pushed me to do a book. He, he thought I could do one, got me a project, and a, you know, and a contract with Triumph. That's where Yankees Essential came from. And then I was approached about doing that, that Met book, 162-0, Imagine a Perfect Season, uh, because they did a series of those. It wasn't just the Mets. It was the Cubs, the Phillies. I mean, you had enough history there to, you know, what people, if they buy the book, what they would get is a compilation of great Met games over the years that make up a whole season, like where they couldn't lose, We found the game on each date. That was a fun project, and David Wright did the forward on that. And we were off and running. So, uh, you know, when people came, I was lucky enough to get some offers to do some books because people try and peddle their books, as you know we've done, you know, recently, where we do it on our own. To push your own book in the older days was not easy. It's a little easier to do now. But you had to get a contract. You know, a lot of times people would go with manuscripts to these publishers and, you know, they, they wouldn't come out with anything, and I was lucky. My first two, I had a contract, you know, so to see my name in print, you know the feeling. It's it's very rewarding. So
0: let's talk about our, how our partnership started, as because if it wasn't for you, I would have never had my name on a book, let alone seven of them. Do you remember that conversation and where it took
1: place? It had to be at the Garden at a Ranger game. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if you were— I don't know if I met you in the stands or in the box. It was in the box,
0: yeah.
1: And, uh, oh, so, okay. So that'd be in the box. Yeah. Because I made a lot of friends with people in the stands. They would always talk to us. You know, when you sat in the box, that the, the blue seats are right behind the old press box. That was great. Yeah. I mean, th- those days were great. But yeah, it must have been in the box.
0: Yeah. And you just kept on pushing me and pushing me. And that's how it started. And each one of our books h- has been such a great experience for me. Of the six we've done together, which is the one that stands out to you and why?
1: Well, I think it, it's going to be tough, even though I like this one right now that we just did, you know, down on the corner is special because there's a lot of, you know, it's unique. No one ever really did anything on it. And it, it you know, the subject was popular among, you know, the locals here, the Mets fans, even Yankee fans and, and national baseball fans, you know, they get the stories behind the scenes and all that's, you know, and you did the interviews a great job with those. And, you know, that that was that was a really good one. That I like that that one's my favorite so far.
0: So the process of five of the six books have been pretty much the same. You and I lay out the format. For, format. We do the research. We conduct the interviews, and you turn those interviews into oral histories. What was your process when you get the thousands of audio that I send you to pick what works within the framework of, of our books?
1: Well, you, you you wanted to make it sound even though. Like like now, I say, you know, you kind of stumble a little naturally. You want to make it, you know, readable. And you got to eliminate the in-betweens and make it sound, you know, they're talking. It's their dialogue. But you have to make it, you know, text-wise. You have to convert it to a text. So, you know, you have to go through everything they say to make sure you don't miss anything. You can't write every word that they say. But there's so much good stuff in there that you really have to sift through it carefully and not and not try and miss anything, and then convert that into a text, which is kind of tricky. There's a little bit of you know work to it, but you know it seems to work. I, you know the format. Uh, people like to read what these guys are saying, as you read quotes in the newspaper and stuff like that. But this is in a book. It's in their words, and we add our, our little tidbits of information about it. You know to make it a little more interesting.
0: Over the course of the journey with all these books, one of the things I love is when we come across a hidden gem story. Was there one in this book that was your favorite at all?
1: Uh, one that intrigued me was the one with Butch Benton and his relationship <laughs> with uh, Joe Torre, because Joe Torre is widely, you know, respected, and maybe not so much in Butch Benton's household. But that that was kind of interesting, and you know, who knows. You know, that could have been a misunderstanding in itself, but, uh, you know, we went with that. Art Shamsky had some great stuff, you know, in his chapter, which was really intriguing. And some of the, you know, some of the people that you don't think about, Benny Agbayani, Benny Ayala, people like that, you know, even Bobby Valentine had some really good stuff in there. So, you know, people go through the book, they're really going to enjoy it. Uh, you know, stories, of baseball gives you a lot of stories like any sport, but it seems like baseball stories are are really special and we've got a lot of good ones in here. Jesse Orozco had some great stuff, you know, you know, some of the unique stuff like, you know, appearing on TV for the first time and, and things like that. Some of the guys, you know, the 69 guys when they went on the Sullivan show, when they talked about that, I found that very interesting because I certainly remember that. Wow. You know, 69.
0: Yeah. For, for me, like the, the, the really weird stuff is, is like, Terry Leach's first win and he talked about how he's got half of the game ball and when i you know i pressed him on it he told me that Ray Sirridge has the other half because Ray Sirridge got his first major league save in that game and just to track Ray Sirridge down and to get the picture of the two halves of the ball on a plaque i thought that was pretty neat that was a pretty cool story that we were able to unearth so even though this is a companion to the New York Ranger book that we did the same title you you never forget your first collection of New York Rangers first um what are some of the differences when writing about the different sports, even within the context of the same framework?
1: Well, the big difference in the Ranger book and and this baseball and this Met book, uh, in the Met book, you had some Spanish speaking you know players, so you have to decipher you know what they're actually saying because you want to make you know want to get that right. You don't want to misquote them because you didn't understand what they were saying. In the Ranger book, there was a lot more of that because of the international flavor in hockey and, you know, the certain accents when they're talking to you. Because when you sent me the interviews, I'm getting the audio, so I'm hearing it right, you know, from them, even though it's written down thanks to a certain app. But even the app, you know, doesn't pick up certain things. So, you know, it tells you one thing, and it's totally different. So after a while, you get to learn the nuances of the app, so you can almost kind of figure what they're going to say, but you still have to check it. So... You know, with, with uh, players that have accents and and come from foreign countries and international, this app has problems deciphering what they're saying. So that made it a little more tougher with the hockey. So you couldn't move through the chapters as fast, at least writing it, than you could with the baseball book.
0: So we used a lot of the same questions for players. And then obviously we added, you know, other first based on the player. Was there one question that was an overarching theme throughout the book that you – thought elicited
1: some of the best responses yeah the 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 first spring trainings with Casey Stengel (laughs) because we had a number of those you caught up you caught on a number of the older players like Frank Thomas and Hobie Landreth I mean those were great I mean look (laughs) he was an amazing character so it's a it's unreal that you, you hear more things about him that you never heard before so yeah I think those spring training sessions with Casey were, were the most intriguing.
0: So what is for you the most gratifying moment throughout the process of doing a book?
1: Probably when you get it, you know, <laughs> and you see it in print because <laughs> you, you know you know you're done. I mean, when you get the text done and we get the manuscript finalized, that that it's like a two-step process. That's one of, part of it. And then when you see the actual book, and, uh, you know, God willing, you, you live a long life, but, uh, you know, when you're gone, you know, this your name's going to be on a book somewhere. And uh, hopefully, you know, people, when they see your name, they'll they'll smile and say, hey, I knew that guy from back one. So
0: what, what do you hope that the readers of this book take away from this book?
1: Just enjoyment and enjoying, you know, getting to enjoy some, some baseball stories. You know, I think we all need that going into this opening day. I mean, this is, a, this is a different opening day now because of what happened last year. It's a real opening day. Last year was so, you know, I like the fact that I got to work a little bit, but the whole season seemed surreal to me. You know, it didn't seem real. So this time around, you know, we got a real opening day in a couple of days, and I hope people will really get into this book and get back into the spirit of baseball because uh, no matter how many, how many times they try and say it's a dying sport, it still seems to stay around.
0: So when are we starting our next one?
1: (laughs) You're the man with the ideas. You come up with the ideas, that's for sure, and you've had some great ones.
0: All right, so tell our listeners where they can hear your great show on this very same network, Carpenter's Corner, and what they can expect when they tune in on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m.
1: Yeah, we're moving to Tuesday. We're on on Sunday. I try and give you at least two guests a week, two interesting guests. We've had some good ones. I. Uh, We're going to have Kevin Burkhardt on Tuesday night from Fox Sports and an old friend of mine. Luckily, in my 41-plus years in the business, I made a lot of connections and a lot of friends. And uh, it's great to bring them on and talk about what they've experienced and and, uh, also about topical events. I hope to have Marley Rivera on as well on Tuesday night. That hasn't been confirmed as yet, but we're hoping for that. So we'll have a nice show. We'll talk some baseball and some football We try and, you know, we have some great shows on 365sportscast.com. A lot of them focus on baseball. I try to be a little more general and spread it out with uh, the four majors and cover football, basketball, and hockey. Uh, Try and uh, entertain you with a couple of sounders, a little commentary, and just make it as interesting as possible. And hopefully people will join us every Tuesday night at 7.
0: Looking forward to listening. It's always a great listen. People can get our new book. It's uh, available on Amazon, or if you want, you can message Howie or I if you want some autograph copies on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, Howie, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks so much for your friendship, your mentorship, your guidance over the years, and pushing me to do a book, which has now turned into seven. None of that would have been possible if it wasn't for you, so I, I just you know can't tell you how much I appreciate it.
1: Well, I've been very fortunate in my life to, to have made – a, a large number of friends, and and you're right in there at the top of the list. So, much appreciated.
0: Appreciate it, Howie. I'll hear you on Tuesday. Have a all great right, buddy. Have a great day,
1: Howie Thank Carpenter. You.